make money online. I, I hate other people. That's not true. I don't hate other people. I I like working with them around a certain series of boundaries, and I think that the question that occurred for this episode, it just makes my butt pucker. It's just not. Kai, will you please ask the question? Mr. DeSavado, why don't you work with third-party agencies slash white labelers slash recruitment services that connect companies, businesses, or startups with us as consultants. Yeah, the greatest thing is how this initial this initial question didn't even have businesses. You were being a little bit more charitable. It just had startups. And there are a million things in this. One of one is like, why don't I work with startups? And I sell to payers, man. Mm-hmm. Same. No. I've worked with I sell three... to established durable businesses. I've worked with three startups in the past and I I haven't had like the canonical negative experience of working with a startup. But what I have had is a group of decision makers in a room who don't know what they're deciding on because they don't really have a solid business plan. And so my aversion to working with startups is more, well, do you have a durable business model? Do you have, like, it might be a new business model, you might be a new company, but is there logic behind it? And I've become very gun shy of working with like, we're a brand new company. We're really looking to get out there. And I'm like, well, have you figured out like all the things that need to happen? It's sort of like somebody getting married three weeks into a relationship. Like, yes, you can do that. You probably should live together first. I, I only want to work with people who have some experience, who have some durability to their business. I mean, I got married eight years into my relationship. So you moved that's fast. I, yeah, I moved really fast. Um, but like, I think to your point, I'm not really how the non-existent get good or the bad get good. I'm how the good get better, right? And A-B testing kind of qualifies out startups by definition because you have to have a certain amount of qualified wallet out traffic. So you have to have already achieved some amount of market validation. Now you might call yourself a startup, but, but I think when you call yourself a startup, you're implying a certain amount of newness. I don't think Uber is a startup anymore. You know, They would probably call themselves a startup. In Valley parlance, they would probably call themselves a startup. But they're a business, albeit a slightly batched, insane one, right? Um, one of my clients, wonderful people, ConvertKit, right? I don't think they would call themselves a startup. They're pretty new as far as growth is concerned. Um, they like they kind of puttered along for a number of years, and I think it was just Nathan's thing, and then all of a sudden it got huge and then they hired a lot of people and then they get brought me in, right? Like they didn't bring me in four years ago. They brought me in recently because it made sense strategically for them to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, they might call themselves a startup. I wouldn't. There's such an established business. There's such a, just a rabbit hole for a second. There's such, such coding around the word startup. Like we use startup Mm -hmm. to mean like Twilio startup does IP, uh, IPO makes millions of dollars. Well, are they really a startup? IPO'd, I, <laughs> right? But, but still, like it gets referred. It's it's so weird. But like a startup could be like me and two friends in my garage hacking on something. Okay, that's a startup. Yeah. Uh, you're in your first year of business in the tech industry. Okay, that's a startup. You've raised your third round of venture capital. I I really don't think we could call it a startup anymore. God, Come I on. love talking to startup owners about their business, and I just use the word business a lot. I'm like, tell me about your business. Like, I have a startup. I'm like and tell me about your business. And then they get really, really uncomfortable. And that's the moment at which I know that you're not willing to play serious and we shouldn't be working together. Um, Let's go back to the third party bit. Um, 
So there are a handful of different conditions in here that are worth talking about, and one of them is third-party agencies, another is white labelers, and another is recruitment services. Those are the things that are um, that are being mentioned. Let's attack recruitment services. Recruitment? Oh, I love attacking recruitment services. Give me a Let's pitchfork. <laughs> trebuchet. Maybe a battering ram. Recruitment Maybe services should torches. be set on fire and burned from the face of the earth. They serve Inflated. no... Floated on a raft down Lake Michigan. No function. No value add. I, uh, I'm i so angry at recruitment services as an I've industry. never seen you this. You're the angry one today. This is good. I'm very angry about it. I mean, I've had so many friends work with recruitment services. I've had so many types of companies try to play recruitment matchmaker for myself or friends. It never adds value to the company. It never adds value to me as a business owner. The whole incentive for a recruitment agency is to like paint this horse so it looks good to sell it to this person who's not good at inspecting horses and then run away with the cash. Oh, you know, Ruby, great. We'll, we'll sell you as a Ruby developer and then flee with the money. Like I, I dislike recruiters. I know there's good ones out there. If you're a good recruiter, email me. I'd love to have a conversation with you about how to not be a shitty recruiter, but the industry is just evil. I know some good recruiters. I'm going to go and rep for some from good recruiters. Um, but the best recruiters act more like Hollywood talent agents, and they only work with top performers. And what you think of when you usually think of recruiters, which I think is the vast majority of the recruitment industry, it's kind of a crotch on lead generation. And if you take one thing away from the other like 40-odd episodes of this podcast, it's that you should be doing your own lead generation. Why is doing your own lead generation important? Now, there's an interesting question, right? For me, it comes down to something you actually said a while ago, uh, years, years ago, when I was talking to you about why did you roll your own payment system? And you had said something. Ha! Like, yeah, you, you know where I'm going with this. You want to be as close to the money as possible. You don't want anybody to control part of that tech stack and suddenly it goes out of business and you're like, sorry, I can't take money from you, dear customer, because Gumroad went out of business or this obscure plugin I use is no longer supported. You spent time to write your own. So... There was no interruptions. There was no problems. And even then, like, uh, what was it? Mantro went out of business temporarily or was folded into MailChimp in a different way. They turned weird. They turned weird. It got weird. But my dislike of working with third-party agencies, matchmaking services, Upwork-style job boards, white labelers, I don't want another business to to be between me and the decision maker and me and the client. And the more layers we add there... The harder communication will be, we're playing a terrible game of telephone that costs hundreds of dollars an hour, and the harder the project will be to ship because I'm doing A, telling it to a person who tells it to a person who presents it to a person, they give feedback, and again, it's the horrible game of telephone. Nothing positive can be accomplished there. I mean, I I can't remember the last time I've worked through a third party or white-labeled my services. I did for a while, but now when I do it, I always present it as... We're just going to do the handoff and I'm going to do the thing. And like we could do the song and dance where I pretend to be your employee if that makes you feel better or makes a client feel better. But I work directly with them because I'm the one who's providing the service. I'm the one who's going to understand their problem. No games of telephone. I tell you, man, I get this like probably seven or eight times a year where somebody comes in the door and like, I got a lot of leads for you for draft revise. Um would you like me to, uh, you know, buy draft revise on their behalf or something like that? You know, I get I get people who are like, um, would you like me to like add draft revise on as a service for my agency or something like that? And I think that's kind of the core of what is being asked here. Um, and I tell them I'm like, well, great, I have people apply directly, and if you want. 
uh, your customers to use DraftRevise, they have to apply. Here's the application form, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from them. Why know how many motherfuckers have come in through that lead? I will best. I will guess zero. Kai, got some great news for you. <sighs> you win. Really, the ability to continue talking to me on this podcast. Yes. Um, I was going to hang up on you, but... Uh, Everything I always wanted. Thank you. I know, right? But, like, I'm telling them, like, what the directions are and what the expectations and boundaries are around this and telling them to reply. And I'm thinking in the back of my head as I'm writing what amounts to a form letter that I copy and paste out of NVL, yo, skull fuck you. Completely get out of my inbox. Like, I actually flag you as spam and black hole you forever after i send that email because you know what i get but actually i have a lot of leads and you just say the same thing louder and you know how like when it's like the stereotypical like foreign language mismatch where like you say something in english and they don't understand you and then you say it in english again slower and louder and also called kai goes on vacation which is like the most condescending way to like deal with other people imaginable. Like, um, but like they do that, they do that as if they didn't hear me that like, no, you actually have to make these people apply. And I ask everyone who applies, like, how did you find me? And it's through this podcast, through this conference talk. My friend had a copy of draft evidence on his desk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's never, Joe Q public from insert name of agency sent me along to you. I never, ever, 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 ever get that ever get that. It's all these sleaze balls who want to pad out margins. You cannot make a business out of just padding out margins. You can, but you're a fucking sleaze ball. And I know it's so funny to call people sleaze balls on a podcast. That's literally named make money online, but boy, I got news for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely agree. I think there's I think there's ways to make it work right as an arrangement. I'm very bullish on referral strategies. Uh, Alan Weiss's Million Dollar Referrals is a book I'd recommend to anybody who's like asking the question of how do I get people referring business into me? I've been teaching students how to do referral outreach to get connected to decision makers to work with. So there are ways to work with third-party agencies or outside people, but the standard way I think it's presented of, we'd love to white-label your service and have it on our site and we'll just pass the people over to you or we'll charge a finder's fee and connect them with you and you get the lead after you pay the finder's fee. It's broken and doesn't really work. I've seen sort of like the kickback or percentage model work in a couple rare cases, but it's it's hard. Uh, I've had friends who've gone down the path of like, oh, I agree to pay 10% to this third party when they refer leads to me and the leads become a client. And it works great. Leads get referred in. But then they always run into that, dis- that discussion of like, well, they signed on for a second project and our verbal agreement didn't specify whether the percentage was for the first or everything. And it just goes pear-shaped immediately. Like, it's a really complicated game to play. I found the best way to win is just to focus on, hey, you could refer people to me. That's wonderful. And if they turn into a profitable client engagement, I'm going to send you something as a thank you. And, you know, I've sent people really nice bottles of scotch, gift baskets, uh, uh, bottles of Oregon wine. I'd much rather do that and have people do that to me in return than try to figure out like, okay, you're a third-party agency. I'm white-labeled. I'm on your site. Well, now, and we haven't even gotten to the concept of now you as a third-party agency are marketing my services, but are you marketing it the way I intend to market it? Such dissonance can occur. Yeah. Another thing that happens, certifications. 
So I run A-B tests for a living, and they're two big providers, and they're Optimizely and VWO. And Optimizely and VWO both have basically like, you're like a trusted partner program, right? Okay, well, what happens if I join both, right? What do the optics look like? Is there a contract that says I have to use Optimizely or VWO for these things? Okay, well, if one, if any one vendor does that, I'm already screwed on using any other vendor. What happens if a client comes in the door and says, hey, we have a home-rolled framework? Well, if you're of a certain level of sophistication, you've dumped Optimizely or VWO and rolled your own framework already, and you have a whole floor of your building devoted to it, right? And so... Okay, well, you're probably a very high-value client at that point, and I shouldn't be actually saying no to you. And this is nothing on me saying like that Optimizely or VW are being evil by doing this. I think it's fine. What it does say is that I have no business case or internal incentive to actually adopt those programs, right? It doesn't mean the programs are bad. If you are all in on Optimizely and you never want to use VWO again, I get it. You want to be an expert in this thing. That's a niche positioning. That's really smart business move. I'm the one who's being stupid here by keeping my options open and hedging on that risk. And you should go and do that. Like, that's completely fine. But what I'm saying for me is that, like, what happens... If and I think this kind of goes back to your initial statements about me like getting away from like hewing to one specific tool. What happens if Optimizely like turns evil or gets bought by Salesforce.com or I don't know, like VWO becomes a way better alternative and all of a sudden I'm hamstrung by this and I become known as the Optimizely guy. And I get why that's a problem. Like our friend Kurt, he's Dr. Shopify and Stein at this point. What happens if Shopify turn into douches? That hasn't happened yet, thank heavens, but it could, True. right? True, yeah. Could. There is, a, I guess there is that risk in positioning and I think that's why we both advocate with positioning not to position yourself as like, I'm really good at swinging this one brand of hammer. It's, I'm really good at building a deck. I'm really good at A-B testing. I'm really good at helping your e-commerce store make more money. We might have our marketing focus on a specific tool. I use Optimizely. I, I focus on Shopify. But that doesn't, I think that doesn't, hamper us in the full way and it lets us pivot and change. So if Shopify, you know, was bought by Google and becomes evil overnight, he could say, hey, you know what? Search, find, and replace. I'm Magento now. Great. I help right. Magento e-commerce stores. I use this framework instead of that framework. So there are ways April to April Fool's Day. <laughs> you know, but you made a rare, really interesting point about the certifications that changed my way of thinking. I always thought of them as just bullshit. Like this is a, <laughs> a money grab on the company's part that preys on the fear a consultant will have that a client won't hire them. So, hey, I have a certification. They'll probably trust me more now. I've never once heard a client, A, ask me if I'm certified in anything, or B, mention that they hired another consultant because they had certification X, Y, and Z. I'm sure it plays well in like enterprise land, like, oh, you're a Microsoft certified partner in these six things. Yes, we will hire you as a consultant. But in the fields we play in, I never really saw value in it. But to your point, if you are niching down on a specific tool, getting certified in that tool, I'm Infusionsoft certified, I'm an Infusionsoft partner, I only work, work with Infusionsoft clients, can play well, but there is the risk that we mentioned. I think there's definitely a benefit. I know somebody who wants to be on like the Squarespace, like partner certified, platinum reserve, whatever page, right? And 
barrel-aged Squarespace. Um, Imperial Squarespace. It's 13% alcohol. Has a lingering finish of toffee and walnut. And they want that not because they want to, like, trumpet the certification, because I don't actually think that's relevant or useful at all for any consultant. Um, They want Squarespace to act as a lead gen tool on their positioning. So if you're aggressively positioning on Squarespace and all of a sudden Squarespace is pointing to you and being like, this is dope, go there. Then all of a sudden you get extreme like brownie points from the thing that is actually providing your bread and butter. And that is tremendously powerful. That is actually really, really great and very valuable for your business. I I Um, 100% agree. I think any opportunity you have to build a relationship with the the team or the providers behind a tool you use in your practice and have them endorse you and recommend you separate from a certification – is incredibly valuable. Like uh, I use the tool quickmail.io for a lot of the outreach campaigns I work on. And I just discovered that they actually have a services page where they list nine or so providers who do outreach marketing. They're like, these are folks we trust. And I'm like, huh, A, that would be a nice link to have. B, that's the type of third-party endorsement that is valuable. The provider saying like, these are the people that we endorse and recommend, click through, go work with them, not apply through our site, we'll pass it off and a whole convoluted lead system, but these mm-hmm. are trusted mm-hmm. people. Right, right, absolutely. So I think there's there's definitely something to be said for having that there. I mean, I'm um, in the A-B testing manual, one of the interview videos is Patrick McKenzie interviewing Paras Chopra, the CEO of Visual Website Optimizer. And Dude's a great guy. VWO is a great company. I've been on their agency plan for over three years now. They're wonderful humans. I never even interviewed the guy. Patrick interviewed the guy. And now I'm selling Patrick interviewing the guy. And even that, people are like, wow, that's a git. Good job, Nick D. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> Business. Thanks, everyone. Meanwhile, in the back of my head, imposter syndrome. No, 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 no. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Actually, that wasn't even me. And And like... That's the thing that undermines yourself. And you can even look good by just any sort of association with the vendor that you're positioning yourselves around, right? And this goes for any practice. Are you a DevOps guy? Great. Talk to Amazon. Get AWS on your side. Get Heroku on your side. Are you a designer? Great. Clark from Envision, you know, like any of that. I'm going to take this in a weird direction, but I think it makes sense. Run in the opposite direction, man. Excellent. Uh, what we're really talking about here is sort of a top and a bottom of the relationship. Ha! I was gonna make the top joke. <laughs> I was gonna make the top joke, and then we moved on. And, like, I... I'll tell you, man. I'm gonna interrupt you horribly right now. I want to be in the top of this relationship because draft is fucking worth something. Yep. Right? Draft is not anyone's bitch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a huge mental shift that a consultant or a business owner needs to go through where they're subservient to a third party, a recruiter, a white labeler, whatever it be, or they're acting as an equal, or they're acting as the dominant one and saying, sure, I'm happy if you refer people to me. End of sentence. I'll send you a bottle of wine. Thank you so much. 
And it's it's a mental shift to value value yourself as a scarce resource and realize that there is an abundant array of opportunities out there and that you don't need to go chasing after a certification or work with a recruiter or work with an agency or white label your services to get those leads. Those might be good tactics to use in the short term. Like when I switched over and started consulting full-time, I was on a job board, elto.com, before they got acquired by GoDaddy. I uh, white labeled some of my services and got some clients through there. I worked with a couple of recruitment services to see if they could generate leads for me. All of those did provide leads and that put cash in my pocket, but they were bad client relationships. They were not the ideal relationship. And I sort of went through the fire by experiencing it and seeing, oh, the quality of the client that goes through this type of agency or gets referred to me, not that good, not that good of a relationship, not that happy. And it made me more aware of how I want to value myself as a business owner to not get sucked into those opportunities. Again, I'm approached every month by somebody who's like, we have a job board. It's very exclusive. We'd love to feature you there. And with the exception of my friend Robert Williams, who runs Workshop, I am very, very, very anti-job board and very anti that as a means for us to market ourselves as consultants. And so, eh, yeah, God. mixed feelings. We haven't even talked about job boards yet. Mm. Don't. No, bro. Oh. It could work in rare, rare, rare oh. situations. You're starting out. You need a quick infusion of cash. You are, okay. I mean, I, here's the it one works frequent. It works infrequently enough that you should have no reason to actually look there or provide any brain cycles to them. I'd say like... I could imagine a consultant jumping onto a job board as a means to generate leads if they just want to focus on their discipline, if they're traveling a lot, don't have a lot of energy to spend on lead generation, and they're willing to put up with the sacrifice and quality that you experience by working on a job board. I have a lot of people who've hit six figures annually with clients they've gotten exclusively through job boards, but that seems like you're hampering yourself. You would have done better by establishing your own brand, what happens when the job board starts charging more money as we just saw with Upwork? Like there's so many contingencies. And again, you're putting an intermediary between you and the client, even when it's just payment, it's going to cause a bad time. It's not going to be as an enjoyable a relationship as it could have been had it been a direct relationship between you and that client. Yeah. So we're spending a lot of time tearing down various options Let's spend a few minutes just closing this episode out by talking, what should you do instead? Because that's not helpful if we're just like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then you're left with like wondering. I have a list of 10 things Kai and Nick told me not to do. Yeah. And what should I even be in this? Like I'm not getting leads. So Kai, how do you get leads? I'd say, I mean, working in the W Freelancing Academy, I will talk about this more in a future episode, but. I've been working with Brendan on this product to help consultants get more leads for their business. And the things we've seen work time and time again have strong positioning. So understand who you're working for, the problem you're solving, and how you're helping their business grow. Uh, uh, understand the exact problems that they face as a business owner. Oh, I'm going to work with e-commerce clients. Great. What three problems do e-commerce clients have that fit into your discipline? Now go make an offering for those things. Now the challenge is getting in front of those people. Where do they congregate online? Where are their groups of these people? Where? What podcasts do they listen to? What articles do they write? How do you get in front of these people through outreach or through inbound marketing channels? But it all comes back to having strong positioning, and having a strong, concrete understanding of the problems the people you're targeting under or experience as business owners. So many times I've seen people go from like, hey, my business is scraping by, I'm making like forty to fifty thousand a year. It's okay, at least I'm independent too. I just broke a hundred thousand dollars a year four months into this. All I did was update my positioning and actually start understanding the problems people hire me to solve. Which 
doesn't fully get at like, how do you get the leads coming in? But before we start driving traffic into this business machine, we need to have these components in place. You need to know your positioning and you need to know the expensive problems you solve. Without those two, you do not have a functional business. I'm going to go and add one more thing to that. I mean, we recorded a whole Make Money Online episode about quality-specific positioning, so go and listen to that, please, because positioning is absolutely vitally foundational to a business. If you just want to work with friendly companies, run. Don't be an independent worker. Go and get a job at Gugasoft Design. Do whatever you need. But the thing I'll add is actually education. So I've never regretted over-communicating about what it is that I do. I've never thought, oh, I shouldn't have sent that additional email that provided a lot of help about A-B testing. And the thing that you should do is talk the what of what it is. What is A-B testing? Why? About why A-B testing is important. Why your expensive problem needs to be solved. And then when you want to get into the how, um, that's when you start to sell the book, right? And you should be focusing on the what and the why as much as humanly possible. And they're the most basic things to you. You know you know why AWS is cheaper than Trello. Okay, well, you might be selling Trello migrations or a book to migrate from Trello to AWS. Well, um, in order to do that, you have to convince people that you're solving an expensive problem and that this is an expensive problem. You should also have a person in mind. Are you a growing startup? Did you just start out on, uh, have I been saying Trello? Heroku. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> there are a lot of Trello to AWS migrations going on, so it's, it's a niche industry. I don't believe it's that niche. I love you. I love uh, you. <laughs> uh, I'm very authoritative. You should take everything I say really seriously. Nick, have you been saying the wrong thing for 10 minutes? <laughs> But you get the idea. So Heroku to AWS. You know that that's an expensive problem. Who are you selling to? What are you doing around it? Are you writing a blog for it? Are you writing a like solid amount of statement of purpose-y stuff? The stuff that makes you come into work every morning. Write about it. I told, I told you this on an episode six months ago. And it's still true. So... The reason that I'm I'm harping on all of this is you are not educating people enough and you need to be writing a blog and a mailing list and sharing them with people and using that as a way to get on guest blogs and guest podcasts. And the way that you get clients, at least the way that Draft gets clients, is by guesting on a crap load of blogs and podcasts. Same. Same for my company. I mean, the inflection point between I'm making... 60,000 a year and I broke a hundred thousand a year was I'm showing up and getting in front of audiences and just saying like, hey, let's talk about like why and what of this thing. But we don't need to get into the how. It's easy for us to default to the how because it's what we do. Like you could talk about how to do A B testing forever. I could talk about how to do outreach forever. But Nobody cares about how we swing the hammer. They care about why we need to replace the deck. What will it mean to replace the deck? And once they agree on that, they don't care how we replace the deck, how we solve this problem. But it's through educating on the why and what that people become convinced like, oh, this is an issue. Oh, this person was able to speak about this issue and explain it to me in a clear way for an hour. Wow, we should work together. I should talk with them more. So education, yes, it plays a key, key, key part. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um. We talk about that on other episodes, so I don't know if we need to go harping on it. But that's the thing that you should do instead of being the bottom in a relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We don't want you to get fucked. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Not in that way. 